0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to mastermind.fm. This is Jean Galea. And with me, I have Chris Greg who's a childhood friend of mine. And we're just getting back in touch after some months that we haven't spoken. He's an accountant with a strong background in finance. So, Chris, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Sean. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Let us know for those, obviously, all our listeners wouldn't be familiar with you. So, Let us know what you do, where you're based, and then we'll get right into the discussion.
1: So, as you said, I'm an accountant. I'm based in Malta, and I have a a portfolio of clients which are related to accounts or finance. I have banks as clients. I help them with certain specific regulatory reporting stuff. I assisted a client with a merger and acquisition, which was a big deal. And I have other accounting slash finance related clients. It's good fun. Mm -hmm. Many
0: people think it's boring, but I I love my job. All right. Yeah, I've learned that accounts can be interesting with the right person. I think it's fair to say that a lot of accountants are boring, but you're not one of them. (laughs) Since we mentioned Malta, apart from the coronavirus thing, what's the current climate in Malta? I mean, many people know that Malta is considered like a tax haven from some people. Others consider it as a good way to escape the climate from Northern Europe and move there with tax advantages, of course. How is it on the ground there? What are you seeing?
1: So I think o- overall, it's a, I believe it's a good lifestyle, right? It helps you to keep a good balance between having fun and, and also being able to actually do well financially. You touched upon uh, tax haven. Yeah. So I would like to clarify there that tax havens usually do not share any information, whereas Malta shares information with any country it asks. And in addition to that, because of certain regulations which have been implemented over the last few years, Malta is effectively asking those investors, clients, whatever, who wants to use Malta purely to shift profits from the country where they are effectively generating those profits to Malta. Basically, it's asking them not to come. And it's not, to be fair, it's not because Malta did this on its own, but yeah. it's an agreement between many countries where this bad practice of shifting profits, eroding base, purely to minimize your tax
0: burden is frowned upon. Yeah, that's interesting. So, when I moved to Spain, one of the first things that was quite a shock for me was the way the Spanish. Bankers and tax people saw Malta. So many people actually told me Malta is blacklisted, which it never was as far as I know. Indeed. And Malta is a tax haven. I was asking them, why do you think it's a tax haven? Because I never, first of all, as a Maltese person, I wasn't paying low taxes when I lived there. And so this whole thing was new for me, you know. And as far as I know as well, Spain wasn't exactly the most corruption-free and transparent country. So that took me as uh, by surprise. I but I also think that there are other countries, for example, Estonia right now is promoting itself a lot as a digital hub and also as a place for people to move their companies to. And I've had so many people, like I work in the internet business sector, so people who are not very tied to one country and they can open their country anywhere. So the first question is can I open the company in a low tax jurisdiction? And Estonia seems to be specifically targeting these kinds of people. And whenever people ask me or it comes up in a discussion, I always tell them that it's not as easy as just opening a company somewhere where which has low tax. It's very important where you as a director and donor are residing, because what you are saying, no? Now, what you are saying applies to big companies who shift profits to Malta or who would want to do that, but it also applies to the sole consultant who is a digital nomad and wants to set up a company to avoid paying taxes at a higher rate elsewhere. It applies to both, indeed, yes.
1: We as practitioners now are obliged actually to report a client who we think is effectively transferring taxable profits to Malta to save on taxes purely when there is no reason to actually. So exactly. So when you create a company in Malta or Estonia, why did you do it? Did you do it because you're living there or because your offices are there or just because, you know, you just want to pay less tax? If it's the latter, it's, it's bad practice and you will be reported. At
0: least that's the rule. To be fair also, I think maybe this is quite recent because I've heard a ton of stories of companies doing that in the past. And while it was never openly advertised as so, I think everybody knew of the virtual offices and the companies in those virtual offices. Plus, there's the other scheme for the high net worth individuals, which was also abused in the past. I'm not sure if this is still the case, but that was also abused. And countries like Germany also were up in arms about this stuff. But when you say it was
1: abused, because uh, you know, I've met cases where people have taken, applied the high net worth scheme... If Malta wants to attract certain key people in gaming and banking and in the industries, we want to attract. If you don't have them, if you don't have these key people, um, basically your ecosystem of that, that you need to be able to see it grow and flourish will not grow because, you, you know, an ecosystem needs everything, needs low-level employees, needs key employees, and it's really hard to attract those. So I think the idea behind it makes sense. Now, if people were abusing of it, I am not aware, but the amount of people that are eligible to be treated as a high, highly qualified person and applied that reduced tax rate is very limited. You have to be a CEO or a CPO. You don't have many in a company like those.
0: Mm. I think Malta never, or the companies operating in the financial sector, unlike in other countries, they never openly advertised that as come here, you'll have low taxes. Oh that's good. But I've seen apartments rented out with nobody living there just to get the residency. Oh, you mean the IIP, I understand. And this happens not only in Malta, it happens in Portugal, it happens in any other Cyprus agreement. Yeah, I agree. So I think it's good that as practitioners at least, you're taking the right steps and not encouraging this. Definitely. Those are short term
1: clients, John they will not be with us for a long time, given the climate yeah.
0: they their short-term clients. Yeah, and that's something I've said before, that Malta cannot build an economy on these types of incentives because at the first change of another jurisdiction, the whole economy might collapse if all these people move elsewhere, if that's the only thing that attracts them. Mm-hmm. You know?
1: Look, the tax regime in Malta helped us to start off, right, without giving that flavor that, you know, something which actually attracts you to Malta to actually start off. And we wouldn't have started in the first place. But now that we have inertia on the system, we need to transition as fast as possible to businesses which require a lot of presence in Malta. And that means it's not just, you know, increasing the tax rates. It means that we have enough employees who are knowledgeable enough to support the industries that we have. And unfortunately, our schools, for example, don't really emphasize the skills that we need, right? If you take Eastern European countries, they focus a lot on mathematical subjects, on IT subjects. And that makes them a great candidate to build an IT business over there. In Malta, I don't believe we have all the criteria, all the ingredients that are required to build an IT business in Malta, but we still want to attract IT business in Malta. We did so by applying lower tax rates and by you know, trying to attract key employees to come to Malta, but that's all short-term. We need to change the way we do things in the long-term, and I think we haven't done that enough.
0: 100% agreed. And, right, which was coming to the next question about who the ideal candidate to open a company in Malta is, I I have several friends who own IT businesses. And while Malta would have been maybe very attractive in the past, now they seem to think that places like Bulgaria, Romania, with low tax rates, 10% uh, in Bulgaria, for example, and with talent available, that's a better candidate for them compared to Malta. Also, one has to keep in mind that The level of spoken English and written English in Europe is advancing very rapidly in many countries. So whereas Malta had a very good advantage on that aspect in the past, I don't think it's longer the case. You make a good point on that, yes. So who would be the ideal candidate for opening a business in Malta? And let's focus on software companies and these kind of digital companies that you know. I'm more familiar with. Would, would it apply at all? Or are you, do you think it applies for huge companies? I
1: don't think size is the matters. I think Malta's edge is that it attracts those companies who would like to have a good regulatory environment. I think Malta has done very well in that area, right? It has started off with the shipping scheme, sorry, with the shipping register. It also built the register also for planes. It has regulated very well gaming. It has tried to regulate blockchain, but I don't think it makes sense to actually regulate blockchain. Blockchain is not meant to be regulated and also is not meant to be linked to one country. You know, it's meant to be dispersed everywhere. But I think that in Malta, we will have that true edge when our, and I'm I'm not referring to expats who live in Malta, but when we have, are indigenous people who are more tech-heavy um, than they actually are, because I think tech is the future, and, and I think more than given it's a, a small country, it can't compete on large-scale industries. So given that tech is a good candidate, I think we should be investing in that, and we will be able to compete once we have a more holistically educated workforce. Let me give an example. I'm an accountant. And every time I interviewed someone to work for me as an accountant, I asked him about Excel, right? Do you know Excel? Yeah. And everyone knows Excel, clearly. But when you give them a number of questions to execute, you know, we look up index, summits, they stall. So tell me, accountants are, you know, they crunch numbers. And not only when you say crunch numbers, people think you're projecting, right? But many times an accountant needs to find the problem in his ledger, right? Things are not tallying. And you have, if you have... 100,000 lines or a million lines, you need to know very well Excel to be able to identify the problem. Otherwise, it takes you ages. And if accountants don't know how to use Excel, it means that they've learned a lot of theory, principles, and so on. But the main skill that they need, don't know it. So I think we need to really rework and rethink how our educational system works. And unfortunately, the industry does not actually give an input in what skills are required. I've heard, I've spoken to someone who used to live in Germany. They basically get a lot of input from industries. Yeah. And there's a a skill. They do an internship as well. Exactly. Get an internship. So indirectly, the industries, the companies have a say on what is taught.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's a good way how to actually. For sure right? Someone who, who you know, nurture
0: exactly that person who you want to work for. Agreed. So, and since we're both into investing to make this transition, since you also yeah. mentioned blockchain, how real or fake is the blockchain island thing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I try to regulate two areas, right? Exchanges, which mm-hmm. I think has, in on paper, become the exchange capital of the world. There are in terms of volume, we process the largest volume in the world. But I think that's on paper. I think in truth, exchanges will be present in those countries where they can get the right um, skills. And I don't think Malta has enough people who understand crypto, who understand the maths and the theory behind blockchain, right, and, and how it works out. When I teach people on how blockchain works. To them, it is completely new, right? But I'm sure if I had to do the same course in Romania, um, they would understand it. You know, cryptography has, has been with us since the 1970s. Yeah, We should know about it, right? But if you don't have the basic ingredients on how blockchain and the mathematics behind it works, it's going to be hard to get security people, it's going to be hard to get IT people who know the subject. So. It's impossible to get really and truly the exchanges to be present in Malta. They just applied for the license so that, you know, it's a marketing, unfortunately, it's a marketing ploy from the rent, you know, to get the stamp of approval to be in Malta. And the second area which Malta tried to regulate were ICOs. And ICOs were a hot bubble and, and, and yeah. you know, they're over. So, yes, unfortunately, the blockchain island
0: is no more. <laughs> Officially pronounced dead by Chris Gregg. so let's talk about investing and we're now in the times of coronavirus without getting too much into trying to predict the future but being realistic given that we're in these hard times what kinds of investing are you excited about for the next few months or years
1: I think the more the uncertainty, the more powder you need to keep driving, right? So being fully invested right now is maybe not a good idea. And secondly, there is so much volatility in the market that being leveraged is also not a very
0: good idea. Can you explain the concept of volatility and leverage for those who might not be familiar with it?
1: Of course. So um, leverage is when you basically buy stocks or bonds when you don't have the money and you can do them through a very many different ways. You can either buy options or buy futures. You can do a variety of ways, but it means that if there is a a relatively small movement in the market, you will get basically burnt out. If you had 5,000 in your account, you would basically have lost it. And however, in hindsight, right, if you had the liquidity to remain with your positions open, you would have made profits. But if because you had to close your positions because you're basically liquid and, and insolvent, you basically lost your choice. So the key is to not be leveraged
0: and to be able to weather the storm. Is there any situation for the small personal investor when you would suggest using leverage? Because to me so far, it just seems like gambling. I haven't seen an actual good use case where I would be comfortable with the risk? Look, in principle, right, leverage is something we do every day.
1: When we buy a house, we, and we take a loan, we have leveraged our purchase, right, with 10% of the value of the house, we bought the house. So sometimes leverage is fine. But when you buy a house, the volatility, the variation in the price of households is limited, right? And therefore, it's fine. But imagine you bought a house today for 100,000 euros and you put 10,000 in, right? And tomorrow, the price the, the price of the house is worth 50,000 euros. So you basically owe the bank 90,000. But if you had to sell the house um, now, you would get 50,000. You know you will not sleep at night.
0: Mm-hmm. And these cases happen and happened in the past.
1: Happened in the real estate market. Maybe not one. in Malta,
0: but... And in Spain, this was uh, one of the biggest issues in the latest crisis.
1: You're right. You're absolutely right. But imagine you get a call from the bank, right? Pay your loan. What you will say is, listen, I can't pay your loan. Please wait, right? But in the stock market, you will not get a call and you will ask them to wait. They'll tell you, you know, you put 10,000 in your account. You've lost it all. Thank you. Goodbye. But it's a pity, right? Because if you were able to wait for a year, that 10,000 would have become 15,000. And that's why I think it's key not to be leveraged, because you will be much worse off than you actually... It's not you just lose your money, but in a year's time you'd say, oh gosh, I could have made money
0: if I was clever enough. So it's a double whammy. So it's tempting for those who think they can time the market. Very tempting. But over the long term, it's not a clever idea. I
1: have a lot of discussions with my friends, right? people will tell me sell property now and this would have been a conversation six months ago right Mm -hmm. because the property market is is gonna tank you will never know when it will tank it might tank but it might tank in five years time right and it means that you've lost five years of rent and it means that when it tanks it will tank by 30 percent which will basically um, bring you down to the price right now and you would have to pay tax to sell your property and buy it again so Mm -hmm. If you try to be clever, you'll be foolish. I think the overall principle in investing should be to be able to invest systematically, as in to invest every so often, say every month or every two months, equal amounts of bets. Mm -hmm. So if I tell you there is a 50% chance that you win a bet, right? And uh, actually not a 50% chance, a 90% chance that you win a bet. What would you rather do, take one bet and hope you will win the bet or take 10 bets and hope that you will win nine out of 10? I think it's more likely that you'll take the latter, right? And the same principle applies with investing. Instead of putting all your money now and you might get it wrong because the, the market might tank from here you should be investing every month a thousand euros right if you can afford it Mm -hmm. and uh, over a year or over the next six months you would probably be buying at very good prices because from now on probably you know the market is not going to do very well and in six years time or in five years time you'd be very happy with your decision but if you make just one purchase and you hope that you have actually timed the market very well probably you're going to make that mistake, right? Because it's really hard to time the market.
0: Yeah. And it's hard for people because we always share the success stories, but never the failures. Indeed. So people think that it's possible to time the market, and it's quite common, when in fact it's the opposite. Indeed. All right, so let's say stocks. Right now, everybody's talking about the dip in the stock market. Mm hmm so you mentioned being able to buy every month, but what will we buy every month? Should we be picking stocks? Should we be focusing on index funds or ETFs? Should we be focused on dividends or not? Mm-hmm. I've seen your article on blog. Should you buy an
1: ETF which tracks the market, or should you buy specific stocks? Or
0: to be clear, I'm still forming my opinion. So okay. I don't have any particular opinion on that. Understood. So, look, listen, I think it depends
1: on the person, right? If someone doesn't have the time or doesn't have the will to learn on the specific company, don't buy specific companies, all right? You should buy a wide ETF, an ETF which tracks, you know, a wide market. Anyone who asks me, what should I buy? And, you know, I'm not interested to follow the market. I tell them, buy the S&P 500. And the S&P 500 ETF basically tracks the largest 500 U.S. companies um, in the U.S., of course. If you want to put more effort in your venture, you should buy an ETF which tracks the S&P 500, which is the SPX, by the way. And why not also an ETF which tracks the Chinese Internet companies? Because China will probably be a, a huge powerhouse. And I think it's a good bet to get exposure to China. And, you know, if you want to get more into detail, you can also buy an ETF, which tracks the largest European companies in Europe. So I think I would do that. Now, if someone is very interested, you know, to learn about specific stocks, then yes, why not? You should invest in those specific stocks. But you really need to be on top of that stock. You really need to, to be subscribed to notifications and newsletters regarding that stock because it takes a lot of time. It has to be in you, right? You love Padel and you follow Padel all the time. And you would have the same initiative and the same love for the stock to make sense to buy specific stocks. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, ETFs have low expense ratios. I really don't recommend to buy mutual funds because there are ETFs which are traded on a stock exchange and funds which are generally sold by brokers but are not traded on exchanges. And the expense ratio is usually much higher. Of course, you should go for the ETF because the expense ratio is much lower and because no one actually or very few people actually have managed to beat the market. So by buying an ETF which tracks the market, all right, with a low expense ratio, it's really hard to get it wrong. I can add one thing: if you really want to buy one stock, you should buy. Stock advice coming up. <laughs> Warren Buffett's company. It's called Berkshire Hathaway because that company invests in so many companies, and it's mm-hmm. it's managed in in such a good way because they manage to buy very good stocks, which probably you and I wouldn't have managed to pick ourselves because, you know, it wouldn't have dawned on us to buy. Then I think if you really had to buy one stock and forget about it, that is the right stock to buy.
0: All right. few questions. Do you have any preference between ETFs, index funds, like the Vanguard fund, which is available to Europeans, but is a fund directly, not an ETF? I don't think it's very popular in Europe. I'm not uh, sure. I've heard
1: about the record yeah? fund.
0: To be clear, there are limits. So there are some hurdles to enter the fund. So you have to have 100,000 as a minimum, euro or dollars, whatever. So that's one hurdle. But as yeah.
1: far but as I know, and, but, um, but don't hold me to this. I might be wrong. The expense ratio of these funds are higher than ETFs. It's quite hard to beat the ETF expense ratio. They're extremely low because they're not managed, right? They just follow the S&P 500 if it's an SPX ETF.
0: Yeah, the fund I'm referring to has either the same expense ratio or even lower. Okay. But the ETF can be sold and the price changes every minute, basically. But the fund, the price is set on a daily basis. And you cannot just go to the exchange and sell it. You have to go through the through Vanguard. And uh, so you tell me the
1: expense ratio is the same. Fine. And is it managed or is it also passively managed?
0: No, it's an index. Okay. Vanguard are famous for index funds. Then really and truly there's no difference, right? There are, there are other differences, but I will write a post uh, about that because I need to get into them and... See the exact details on where they differ. Okay. But one thing that is also worth considering is whether... I don't know what happens on an ETF level. Whether they reinvest the funds, the dividends, or not.
1: I think it depends on the ETF, right? I, there are so many different ETFs. For example, there's an ETF which tracks the market 3x. So if the market goes up by 1 euro, you get 3 times.
0: So many different ETFs, right? You just And then many people... Uh, actually there are books that focus on buying only dividend stocks Mm -hmm. stocks that give a dividend and they kind of attack this culture this trader nation culture where everybody is buying in the hope of selling at a higher price next year or the year after very short-term thinking and again trying to get timing the market in a way as well what's your view on that
1: imagine you buy um an old car, right? A vintage car, but you can't use it as an investment. Mm-hmm. And it will give you no reward, of course, no no cash flow because they don't produce cash flow. So you question yourself. And you know you're building an investment portfolio and you, you don't plan to sell it. Probably you you'll give your car to your kids, right? So what's the use of that investment? You got nothing from it. Whereas if you buy an investment which at least pays cash flow, at least you know that you're getting something in it, right? Because, okay, let me go, just go back one step. I don't believe in buying and selling. If you bought a Van Gogh, why should you sell it, right? To buy another Van Gogh, why? As long as you're not uh, maybe remodeling your portfolio, then it doesn't make sense to sell. So if it doesn't make sense to sell and you have a, a stock which doesn't pay a cash flow, which doesn't pay a dividend, or you don't expect it to pay a dividend in the future, then why should you keep it if you will not sell it? So, I think it makes sense to have, in general, a dividend paying stock. At the same time, the stock market is a bit different to a vintage car, right? Because if you have a thousand shares and the value of that share is increasing, even though dividend is not being distributed, you can every year sell a small percentage of your share. Because these non dividend paying stocks typically don't distribute dividend because The rate that they earn by reinvesting their profits is much higher than I would get if I had to invest my money. So I think that in the stock market, unlike having a vintage car, you can always make a homemade dividend. I think what's key is not dividend, but the rate of return on the equity of the company If you get a company which is, say, an airport, right? Let me give you an example in Malta. MIA is the only airport in Malta, a Monopoly, ROE, is almost 25%. It pays a dividend, but even if it doesn't pay a dividend, I I don't care, right? You can't beat that return on equity. And as long as the company's profitability and the edge it has over its competitors is good, then I'm not worried. Could you explain how return on equity is calculated? Of course, it's the profit, usually after tax, divided by the equity of the company. Usually, you take equity is calculated by looking at the capital, the share capital, and retained earnings and any other reserves. So it's not related to the
0: price at which you bought no, the share. Not the PE, no, but the return on equity. Interesting. Okay, so as my understanding is that in the past, dividends were much more the focus of most companies. And during the 80s and 90s, when there were these huge booms, people started to trade, everybody wanted and was getting rich as well, because it was kind of a bubble. And we've gotten to this trend where people think of the stock market where you buy low and sell high, but there's this big element of timing the market. And so since we base our thinking on what the blogs say, what the ratings agency says, if a company is rated as low growth, then it's going to have its price reduced. While that might be a perfectly good company that's giving out dividends and is a healthy company, whereas companies now focus more on share buybacks and increasing growth instead of giving out dividends. So that's where these people differ in terms of focusing a lot on the dividend companies. However, on the other hand, since most companies have moved on to reinvesting their profits, then it means that those who are still giving dividends tend to be the slow-moving companies as well. True, because they can't use their cash otherwise, right? So it's it's a tricky one. How would you convince me, a tech guy, not to invest in the Apple, Amazon, Google stocks when I I can only see a way up for them? You know, I'm biased because everybody knows we're biased, you know, not even, even people who are not in IT tend to buy these stocks, but as an IT person who's seen 20 years of IT explosive growth. and Knowing the companies, not necessarily knowing the financials, but knowing the companies, knowing what they're producing, more or less knowing where the market is going. We believe by our nature that this is a great opportunity. It's really hard for me to convince you not to buy tech stocks.
1: And the reason is because most tech stocks are monopolies. right? Facebook is a winner take all, right? You can't have 10 social networks. You can just have one. Mm And because it's the nature of these tech stocks to be monopolistic in nature and monopolistic companies return abnormal profit, then I can't tell you, you know, it's a bad idea. The only downside to this is that certain tech stocks are overpriced. So, for example, Netflix comes to mind. The price that Netflix is traded at current earnings and at forecasted earnings is very high. So if something would have to go wrong in that assumption that it will remain as the leading platform to consume content over a television, then you're going to lose a lot of money. Not 10%, but probably much more. So tech stocks are good, but you have to be careful on the P.E. ratio. If you have a huge P.E. ratio, at least the only thing you should be able to do is to diversify across a number of tech stocks because you know two out of ten probably are gonna disappoint you so at least you can't believe you're right and put most money in netflix only or in, in google only or in apple only that's my take but you know they're riskier high return
0: agreed but also high risk because if you get it wrong you're gonna lose a lot of money yeah and we all know those guys who invested in apple 10 years ago, Amazon, 10 years ago, who are now rich because so it's tempting, you know, to say either I'll invest in those same companies or try to find the next unicorn.
1: But 10 years ago or 20 years ago, they wouldn't have known that Apple was the next unicorn, right? With hindsight, things look very different. That's
0: how they think. That's how they promote mm-hmm. themselves as...
1: Actually, I, I just finished reading a book, The Black Swan, I'm not sure if, if you've read it. Yeah, an excellent book. Yeah. Excellent book. And uh, it's really hi- difficult because hindsight actually affects your judgment, right? You think yeah. that you should have done this, but it's basically, that's your narrative, which is being squared with the past and not your thinking, not your understanding
0: of how things work you know what bothers me about index funds two things one let's say now that i I, there's an opportunity stocks are lower would i invest in an index fund now my thinking is should i invest in, in an index which tracks the whole market when there are specific portions of the market which are already being heavily affected And are most probably going to be heavily affected for the next months or two years. What do you think about that? Like the cruise liners, for example, they're being trashed. When will they recover from that? But they're in the index. If I can just take one
1: step back, right? I think all the market is being trashed. The reason is because there isn't enough liquidity. People right now feel that cash is king, right? So they'd rather sell their investments and keep their powder dry, because probably there'll be opportunities to buy a property at a very good price or buy stock at a very good price. So I think you can't get it wrong by buying an S P 500 index fund, because you'd be buying at a time where everyone is fearful. You mentioned cruise liners. I think they're also quite risky right now, right? Because if a cruise liner is leveraged, if it has, you know, a one is to one equity debt ratio. What I meant though,
0: that they would still be in the index that you would be buying. Oh, I see. I see. And basically you, do, you wouldn't want them, right? In your index. I'm buying trash, you know, part of the whole package, which
1: has some very bad apples in it. Fine, but I think the, the weight, right? Of bad apples is, is so low. That I am not really worried about that, to be honest. And even though are bad apples, the price has been stretched so much that probably it's not such a bad investment. I'm not saying buy, all right, these type of stocks, but probably the market is already discounting the fact that these companies will suffer a lot over the next two years. So I would buy S&P 500 if I don't follow the market. If someone follows the market, I think I would look at those companies which are not leveraged because those are much more secure, right? And which earn a high ROE because since all the market is being trashed, really and truly, it's equally trashing very good companies, right? Which shouldn't be trashed. And I think good companies are companies which are not leveraged and have a high ROE. So if you go for those companies, yes. If you have the time to follow, yes. But if someone, and I think most of these people are not like us, right? They don't have the time or they they don't have the the love to follow stocks. For those people, index funds are key.
0: You mentioned the time, which I want to touch upon. But before that, the second thing that I don't like, or so far I've been worried about indexes, is that there are certain companies which I absolutely hate. Not them per se, but the products they produce, like tobacco. Okay but I would be supporting them by investing in them. So that's kind of been a big dilemma for me. And I don't, it's not even necessarily an ethical thing. I just hate what they produce, you know, and I don't want to be investing in it. That would feel strange to me. But really and truly, are you helping them? That's the question I've been asking, you know, should I justify it or should I and my ground because I don't like those products. It's not that ethical for me. I'm not going to be finding the coal and the oil and saying these are pollutants, you know. It's more about my personal hate of tobacco, you know. Its effects on people, but also the fact that I go outside and I don't like the tobacco. I want to kind of not
1: support them at all, you know? Personally, I don't mind it because I know that I'm buying a stock from someone else, right? Who maybe for all swear doesn't even smoke. Um, so I think I never thought about it, but I,
0: I don't think i would be bothered about it. You'd be buying McDonald's, Coca Cola, other products which I really don't like. Definitely. Good ROE, I'll buy
1: it anytime. Look, we're we're in a game, right? You're basically buying those stocks which you believe in, right? And I I don't have Apple, I don't have the cheapest phone ever, (laughs) but I believe Apple has a great product, people want it, right? And uh, the ROE on that company is beautiful, so no, why bother? Just buy the stock. I make a distinction between the services I consume and the investments I make, because they're two separate things, if the investment
0: is solid. For it, so for a while I was investing in only products that I use. Okay, which is good, right? Because
1: I know the product at least. Exactly, yeah. at least, exactly. But if you can understand the product without owning the product, then go for it. I would buy the stock anytime.
0: Mm. Interesting. More thinking for me to do.
1: If, if I, for a second, ask you a question. Yeah. So there are many Chinese stocks, right, which are stellar. There's Alibaba, mm-hmm. Tencent, yeah. there's, but It's really hard for me to use them,
0: right? But you, you wouldn't buy them? They don't bother me, so I you know. have no problem with that. And, and again, buy- it's not ethical, you know? It's no. not an ethical thing. I'm not trying to be a good person, you know? I just hate tobacco with a passion and, and I don't know. want to. I'm not a, a burger king, McDonald's, you know, things that are against my, my own. Principles kind of, you know. Understood. You will ask me about time. So I have quite a strong opinion on this. I've seen many people, and I don't know what your take on this is. And perhaps for us, it might not be that clear, but I've seen people spend basically all their free time on investing when the returns for them are very low. Either that or they save. They put all their energies in saving money. And I'm the kind of person who thinks that if I need more money tomorrow, I can invent something or I can do something to earn more money. The first thing I will think about is how to earn more money, not how to spend less. So this question of time is very interesting. And I've seen people say in P2P lending, Okay. Mm -hmm. you get 10% return. So these people are basically spending all their free time on P2P lending with 10,000 euro to invest. So that means they're getting 1,000 if they even get it because it's a highly risky asset. Agreed. Why would I spend all my free time for 1,000 euro per year? And that's a question I ask myself for all of my investing because this is not something investing I do for the money. Yes. But because I love it. In my case, it's both, but let's exclude that. And maybe in your case, it is as well. But for normal people, you know, that's who are not interested in investing. There's this question, how much time should I spend? And sometimes we read books that tell us you shouldn't go to a mutual fund or you shouldn't do managed stuff because they take a percentage and over time, it's a lot of money. But if the alternative is spending a lot more time myself, That's where my question arises.
1: I think that it's really hard to beat the market, right? So if that is true, okay, then you can get around a 7% return on average every year by buying an index fund, you know, an S&P 500 fund, and you can forget about it. What's even more beautiful is that you can, you know, set aside an amount of money every month for your monthly paycheck and invest it there automatically without even thinking. The price could be very high, the price could be very low. So I don't think it's a question of time. Those people who don't invest probably is because they want to spend money and not invest it. I think it's really hard to
0: have people not investing because of time. I think you need an initial investment to learn what even... Most people don't even know what an index ETF uh, is. You know. Fair enough. But if someone is listening to this podcast,
1: right... And understand this, it's enough for them. They don't have to worry about anything else. Just put money there. You're basically buying into into the largest 500 U.S. companies in in U.S., of course. And I think you're sorted. Coming to the question of time, right, maybe right now it doesn't make sense to invest so much time to get 1,000 euros in your case, in your example's case but if your money continues to accumulate and you continue to put more money in your portfolio maybe at one point it will make sense right and in my case and probably even in your case even if it doesn't make sense you still do it because you love it right between watching facebook and looking at facebook or looking at an article on on seeking gulf um sometimes i prefer to do the latter not always but sometimes (laughs) I prefer I'd to be say almost
0: always. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I think it's a question. It's it's never not never a question of time or a question of how much interested you are. The less interested you are, the more you should put your money in S and P five hundred. That's it. Yeah, I think
0: the time problem is for those who are trying to, maybe when I think of index funds and investing in the way we've been talking about, I think of it as something long-term, right? 10, 20 years to build a, a pot of money yes. for future scenarios. But when people spend so much time on, on investing, I think it's usually because they want a the quick return. They want to time the market. They want to invest in risky assets, try to lower the risk by gaining more knowledge. And that's when I... I question it. I say that probably if they did some freelance work, they learn much more than a thousand euro. Agreed. You know, and then when you have a lot of money, you can get good returns, and even in short term, you know, because if you have one million, ten million, those kinds of assets, you invest at ten percent per year, it's almost a game changer, even just. The most low-risk investment is a game-changer with the amount of income you get per year. Agreed. So what else? Investing, what excites you apart from stocks? Anything else? I don't buy
1: bonds. I actually prefer a property over a bond. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Because a property to my mind is a bond with an embedded equity instrument in it. Right? It pays if you, of course, buy a property to rent it out. You have that bond-like feature. But the value of that property will not be fixed like a bond is. And property prices are generally driven by increase in GDP. Right, If I earn right now 20,000 euros per year and that would be an average salary, then the average property value should be 10 times as much. That's the average, that's the median uh, multiple across the world, actually. So I not notice. If there is an economy with a median salary of twenty thousand euros, the typical property value is two hundred thousand euros. Now, if over ten years the median salary will increase to thirty thousand euros, you've made basically hundred thousand euros, three hundred minus two hundred thousand. Whereas with a bond, you wouldn't have made that gain. The downside to owning property is that it's illiquid, right? If you need cash, right now, let's say there's Corona and I've lost my job, right? And it's hard to diversify, as well. So It's not diversifying. Okay, fine. It's, diversification is key, but it's important to have liquid assets as well, because property is liquid. You can't sell the property, you know, to finance the next six months of of personal expenditure. But if I had some property and some stock slash bonds, at least even if I might lose some money, I'd be able to continue finance my monthly mortgages my monthly expenses and so on. So I think you need to have a, a combination of both, especially, for example, in Malta, we had up to now um, a situation where the property market went through the roof, right? And as I was saying mm-hmm. in the beginning, it's really hard to know when that bubble or when that price increases will deflate slightly. Yeah. So instead of saying, I'm going to sell my property and, you know, hope for the best, you should have enough liquid assets to be able to weather the storm because in 10, 20, 50 years time, the property market will not go down. It will go up.
0: Yeah. Maybe my thoughts are a bit different on property because my strategy has been, and this is not common in Malta, but here in Spain and in other countries, it's very popular. It's grown very popular over the past two, three years, actually. Okay. Investing in several properties through crowdfunding, real estate crowdfunding platforms. Okay. so. The money I would have spent on an apartment is now invested across properties in Spain, UK, Portugal, Italy, the Baltic states. So I, and the, the second thing about that's the diversification is obvious. And that's where you have to also spend time studying, then that's where the time issue comes in because it's one thing buying a property in Malta because you've always lived there. And one thing, should I buy a property in the Baltics? I know nothing, I need to investigate their economy, what kind of properties they have, a lot of things, Mm -hmm. the platform itself, so a lot of time goes into it, that's the downside. But on the other hand, I get diversification and I have also the secondary market, which is basically when you buy a property, you buy kind of shares in that property, Mm -hmm. and then you can, at any day point in time, you can... Them for sale, same thing as you would do with stocks, and others will buy those shares. Can I ask you um, a couple of questions on that? Yeah.
1: You would be exposed to the property per se or to a company owning the property?
0: So there are different ways of doing it. So there are platforms or deals on a platform. Platforms might offer different deals. There are the loans. So you're offering a loan to a developer. Okay. To do a refurbishment or a property from scratch. And then within that category, there are different uh, types of loans like uh, first uh, term, first tier, second tier, whatever. Then there are companies where you're investing and you're a part owner of the property. Yes. Directly. Okay. And th- the company basically buys the, the property. Only then. They, they, are also, they are also part of the owners. Okay. They reserve the rights to manage the property Okay, because they will be doing the refurbishments and they, it's basically flipping in that case. And there are others where a structure is put in place, an SPV, special purpose vehicle, mm-hmm. very popular in the UK, for example, where that company buys one property and you obtain shares in that company. Oh. And then whenever, and then there are, there's a plan in place usually for the property, like refurbish rent out for five years. After five years, there's a vote taken. We decide to sell or to keep. Understood. Okay. But during that time, if you want to sell, you just sell, sell your shares. Okay. My only
1: concern would be if I'm actually exposed to the company per se. What if that company
0: is mismanaged or, you know, yeah. that, that's my only concern. The management can happen anytime. The ownership of the underlying property is not usually a problem because you own shares in, in the SPV, which is... so You have the platform and then the SPV, which is separate. Oh, I see. I see. All right. Okay. So you invest investing. So even in- if the platform itself goes away, you still have the shares. The problem is there are another thousand investors in that SPV. So... How to recover from the platform disappearing is also questionable. Where the property is staying in the Baltics, you know, not somewhere where you can actually visit or manage yourself. And how can you be sure that there is no scam involved? That's where the research comes in, because there have been scams. I can imagine, right? People are very devious. So, yeah. People have lost money, and you just have to put in the time. Okay it's also very interesting so for me it was extremely interesting because i took it as a learning okay. experience so i had to learn all about properties then the different markets and through property i think it was the only way to really get to know the different economies around europe fair enough what's your typical return or target return on, on this investment it's been all over the place you know like Maybe two years ago in Spain, in Barcelona or Madrid, I would have told you 20% on the flipping within eight months. Now, nothing, you know, because everything's stuck. Uh-huh. I've, I've had properties on the market for three years already. so On the market, we need to be sold, right? To to be sold. They're to. ready, but there's no buyer because there was the Catalonia independence thing. Okay. Now... Spain is not doing very well. I see. So you just have to wait. In the Baltics, it was more regular. Okay. Then 12%. UK, I invested. It was doing very well. Then Brexit happened. So values? Then it depends where in the UK as well you invest. So UK, the London area was already quite inflated in terms of prices. So that didn't do so well. The student housing was doing very well. Okay. Then again, Brexit will have to see the effect on the student population. Because many of the UK students going for the upper end apartments tend to be Asian or European. Okay. Because those tend to be the ones who are the, doing their master's, their PhDs. They need something better than the usual dorms. All right. So it's very complex, but it's very interesting as well.
1: Very good. And you don't invest in SPVs which um, own rental properties and you get that
0: yearly return? Yeah, Yeah, I do. And what's that typical return on that? It's all over the place again, although not so much, but I have posts on specific countries. I think it's better if I would direct you to those posts instead of just putting out a figure because I don't even know it by heart. Right. For me, it was more of a learning experience rather than chasing the return. Okay,
1: where is your weight in which stock or in which
0: market, in which property, whatever do you invest most yourself? So liquidity is very important for me. You know, absolutely. I try to keep things as liquid as possible. So that changes all the time. So right now, I had I had stocks. I had sold them in January, so I'm ready to reinvest in something else. So I wouldn't, again, say this is how I do it because it's what I tell you would be fake, you know, because it might have been through three months ago. It's different now. And in three months, it will definitely be different. Understood. And I try to keep as wide an area of options as possible, including potentially acquiring other companies or small products that I can develop myself with my skills. But there's so much happening in the investment space, especially in the last three years. And perhaps a lot of have not—you've uh, not been exposed to all this stuff yet. The, but the fintech space in Spain, especially, it's been quite active. You know, many different products. Okay, such as
1: I've seen a few, right? Which which um, do um, uh,
0: APIs for banks, for example. I'm not sure if you came across them yeah now it's for example now you can transfer from one bank to the other by just requesting clicking a button exactly. and your account will be transferred yes. they're all open now so you can build one platform that manages all your bank accounts there are quite a few spanish ones like that do that there are lots of digital banks where you there are a revolut go. version in spain revolut is available here spanish version of revolut i meant. there are many digital banks Okay. But most people who want that kind of app, they either use Revolut and 26, which I don't believe you have in Malta. No, but it's also British, I believe, right? I think it's German. Is it? German, All right. German, Yeah. There's Revolut and TransferWise. They started with the exchanges, but now they have borderless accounts. Okay. Curve is another good one. I love Curve. So Curve gives you one debit card. Yes. One card where you can link all the cards you own can be linked to this one card. Okay. And then when you go to pay, you just select it from your phone, which card you want to use. Very good. But you're always using one physical card. So this has been great for me because I had the Maltese bank account, the Spanish, the Spanish accounts here. i ask, does it work also in an ATM? In ATMs, to withdraw. To uh-huh. withdraw. I've never used it like that, so I can't tell okay. you. Okay. Maybe it does. That would be cool, but I don't think it's possible, right? Or maybe it, it is. I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know the tech behind what would need to that to make it happen. Exactly. But then it uh, it gives you all the reporting. And it's great because while before I used to have to manage what I spent from this account and from that. And from my wife as well. She has her own account. To so bring it all together. Now I just have Curve manage everything. Yes. And put out the graphs and everything and do you have to pay to use it or it's uh a, it's, a no, it's, it's free okay i wonder how they make their money actually well the commissions because hmm. you're using them to pay at the what if you link a credit card let's yes. say you link an
1: mx right an american express card with it which probably is much higher than the average bank than the average card if you're moving money from mx to your card to a curve which then you're spending i'm actually don't move any money oh, you don't move any money so how do you no. actually fund the, the the curve you
0: don't right. fund it all right you don't fund it it's just a virtual it's just a link link oh. it's a link so if it's a link how do they make money? right how do they get the commission i think it's because when you pay the payment passes through them and then to the ultimate i i, I imagine they get part of that transaction. They might have an agreement, maybe. Who knows? I'll check it out. I'll check it out for sure. Is it Spanish? No, no. I don't know from where. I think it's UK, that one. Okay, all right. Monzo. Monzo is big in the UK. Monzo, yes, I've heard about that, yes. I invested in the the crowdfunding campaign. Oh, good for you. Small amount. You know, the thing with investment is that if you do small amounts, and many things to track them as well is a lot of time so indeed that's another drawback indeed, indeed. but as a learning experience i i really enjoyed doubling and stuff so far right so when you said if you had a million or ten
1: million then the the money makes sense but if you don't make all the mistakes until you get to a million when you get to one million you will basically lose it right if, if you, if you, yeah. Or you'd be afraid to actually invest it. So you, you can't jump from zero to a million straight away. It's a learning curve.
0: That's why I tell people when they ask me how to invest, you know, define your goals first. If it's just the reti- typical retirement account, just do the index funds, which were mentioned. Mm-hmm. But if this is part of your wealth growth active, you know, then... have to learn spend three four years investing little money like a monzo i said i invested i put in 10 (laughs) pounds if it goes up 100 times it's irrelevant to me you know. exactly but if i lose that 10 pounds i'll hurt exactly because that's human psychology you're right you hurt when you lose something
1: once i learned a very important lesson which i still apply it every day i was in london and there were these there are people right outside and they're playing games and they offer you to place a bet and there yeah. was this guy who was shifting cards and i was so so sure i've Sick. seen his card I, I thought he made a mistake actually so i said let, let me put some money very popular scam and yes very I've exactly i put I, I forgot how much i put initially but then he said put more and i was so sure i saw the card right that i put more and of course then he screwed me over but it's uh, it was an expensive lesson but it's it served me well because even when I buy a stock and I say you know this stock is going to do very well I keep myself from actually getting more exposure to that stock because something will or might go wrong you you, you can never know right even apple think of blackberry right blackberry was the was the king in smartphones but it it, it fell off its its chair so I think I've learned a huge lesson there with a very small amount of money, relatively speaking, that you should never put your eggs in one basket. I know it's easy to say, but it's very hard not to implement. It's very hard to
0: implement. And since we mentioned it, I think it's very much worth emphasizing that you will make mistakes. Every big investor made mistakes, and the mistakes are part of the learning process. Agreed, agreed. In business, I've invested money into things that, Didn't ever come to market and were useless. But those lessons helped me build the next product, which was successful. It's about learning from the lessons, not not making mistakes. And unfortunately, the education in the system is not also built to fail gracefully. The way we grow up, you fail, you're at the end of the world, you know, Mm. that was it
1: for me at least don't you think it's also a bit of an ego issue right i for example kick myself too much when i make mistakes not 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 only investments it could be any any mistake right and sometimes i kick myself for acting in a way 10 years ago or 20 years ago and i actually forget that 20 years ago i was still naive because it was i was 15 years yeah. old right so i think it depends also on your psyche i kick myself too much for all the mistakes i've done And for that reason, people hate to take risks. But without taking risks, you can't grow. So it's a bit of a a catch-22 situation.
0: But I think it's part of the fun, no? Taking risks, feeling bad about it, you know? i I back to the fair. I'd
1: love not to to kick myself too much. Maybe that's the issue which I have to deal with.
0: (laughs) Well, like I told you, I... I started seeing a psychotherapist around two years ago, I think. And it was an amazing Uh journey for me, you know. And you have to face these things because if you're an entrepreneur, you are going to. It's it's in in our nature to make mistakes, sometimes big mistakes. And it's obvious, like we think of ourselves as intelligent people, perhaps better than the typical worker. But when we make a big mistakes, like how could it have happened to us, you know? I think it's a very common feeling. Knowing how to deal with it is very important. I
1: agreed. I have to manage myself better. That's the the problem, right? And I think I'm trying to do so by understanding and accepting that I don't know enough. And even when I'm 70, I will not know enough. So, you know, if I Mm -hmm. made a mistake, I know. Because I prepared myself already, I don't know enough. So hopefully that will work. I'll, I'll let you know in the next time I'll speak to you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I want to ask you one, so, one question, actually. Yeah. So you've shifted to investments, right? Mm-hmm. And that maybe was a few years ago, maybe five years ago, six. I remember you
0: mentioned no, this to me. I kind, of, yeah, I kind of retired from my tech business, I think, four years ago. Okay. Yeah. And now you're into this area. So what do you plan? Do
1: you continue uh, plan to plan to do this stuff? Or do you want to do... You, what's your vision,
0: right? What's your,
1: what, what's your plan?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's been, I think, part of my lifelong journey. I think everything ties in together. So I think going out of school and Malta and university, I was very excited about tech. I had this dream that I was always reading in my teens, reading about what was happening in America. Okay. And I wanted to follow that dream, you know, to make an internet business. And so my, my dad is an accountant, and he always emphasized the accounting profession. It pays well; it's a respectable profession. So he, it always bothered him to see me playing around on computers. All kids go after right? all. <laughs> But in that time, you know, it was something new. So my first goal was to prove to my parents that this crazy thing I was doing was going to work. So that was my first goal. And a second, an equal goal was my dad worked very long hours. Uh-huh. And I didn't see him for most of my childhood. And I had sworn not to be like him. Which meant that I had to find a job or some kind of income, which permitted me the flexibility that he didn't have. Okay. And he got into the spirits because he had a very interesting life before he got sucked up in this corporate ladder thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I knew how he was before and how he became so focused on work. And I don't even blame him because that's the system. Once you're in certain corporate cultures, So then that's how I got into travel, for example, and making my work work while traveling the world. Okay. That was my my second shift, my latter 20s. Then I, maybe 30s, where I was able to sustain all this traveling and working online. I got married to my wife who was Russian. Uh, She started working with me. So I had this family business. Okay. And then I guess the past few years, I wanted to transition into another thing that has always been in my heart being an athlete. I had always had this dream, but never really pursued it. So I said, why not, you know? So for the past four years, I've been pursuing this dream of being an athlete. Okay. And battling with myself. And the idea of why are you leaving everything behind in a way where you're in your prime, you could make a lot more money. Why are you pursuing this kind of stupid in the eyes of most people? Idea of being an athlete where I won't earn any money It's just something personal that I wanted to do. The reality has been that I learned a ton of lessons during this experience which I then reapplied and was constantly reapplying to my life. Can you give me an example? An example of the top of my head. Let's see. It's hard for me to focus, for example, and I realized this. When you want to become an athlete, you have to be 100% focused and get all the ratios right. So the ratio of how much you train, how much you play, and where your mind is at. Okay. And I realized how unfocused I have always been. I'm interested in many things, but I find it hard to focus on one particular thing. And I mentioned the psychotherapist, which I hired mostly because I wanted to improve at my mental game. But when I started focusing, for example, I'm playing paddle and some guy who's outside the court who's shouting bothers me and throws me off my game. Okay. I completely lose my focus. So that was the problem I went to the psychotherapist with. Okay. But then we discovered that I get thrown off by many things also outside the puzzle court. Okay. So how do I deal with those, you know? So I started to realize things that were kind of hidden because I had gotten used to them in my life. But on the courts, they came out very clearly in a different way. So I was able to identify them. Got it. All right. Interesting. So it's a big circle. That And now I'm a much better person and I think much better investor, whatever I apply my skills and thought to and focus on. I will be much better because of this experience. Okay. But I don't really plan the future that much, you know, so I focus on freedom. I try to see what thing will give me freedom in the next few years. And freedom is a very generic term in my, my view, you know, freedom on where to live, who to be with, what to eat, whatever, you know. Freedom, having a lot of money, being able to travel the world, but not being healthy for me is not freedom. So how am I putting health in this whole mix? So my motto in front of me is health, wealth, and happiness. So those are the three things that I focus on right now. Wow. And I'm hoping to get the mix just right.
1: Good. What's your Shangri-La? There must be one, right? Uh, you say, if I manage to, this, to do this, I'd I'll, I'll be, I'll be great. As in, you, you'll be happy every day of your life, right? But there must be that Shangri-La in your life. You say, I would love to be, I don't know, in your case, maybe compete in, in a puddle, in a professional puddle
0: um, uh, tournament across the world, whatever. What would What would that be? I think right now the biggest struggle and the biggest win I can ever achieve is to be happy with what I have and stop chasing new things because I'm so interested in so many different things and I actually chase them, you know. So every day I wake up, I see something new and I chase it. You have to have a reason to wake up in the morning,
1: right? I wake up, there's a joy, right? I want to do this today. If there is no, yeah. no high from, from doing that,
0: wh- wh- why should
1: you wake up in the morning in the first place?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because it's not something that's bad and should be eliminated. All the bad things and the best things, the best and worst things in me are two sides of the same coin. Like for everyone, of course. So it's hard, very hard to eliminate, eliminate one side of the coin only. Wow. But control it and manage things better now that I have a son as well. It's important, you know, because it's very easy for me to sit down on the computer and. And get lost. Be here all day. Doing. I, I always say to people, the paddle stuff, that's the actual work. Because I, I don't particularly like physical training and competing when I'm. Not that good, you know, compared to the best players. Uh-huh. Sitting down and building websites, easy for me. Mm-hmm. I can do it all day. I just have to sit down and do what I know best, you know. It's interesting. I know I'm good at it. That's not challenging. Spending time with my kid when he's having tantrums, training. Those are the hard things, you know. But I, know I want to plan them within my day. Agreed. Do you still go for training right now? Right now, I cannot. You cannot, right. That's a pity.
1: I used to hit the gym in the morning before work. And I also had to, to give up on that. And yeah. very unfortunately, and I'm really angry at myself, I am not managing to wake up in the, early in the morning to train before I start work at home. And I haven't managed over the last month, I haven't managed to, to make myself do that. Not training or the waking up early? Waking up early and training. I, I basically end up oversleeping
0: and, and mm, you no know. interesting. So for me, it worked the other way around since okay. I didn't have any commitments. I'm basically taking this whole time as a one long retreat. Uh, one thing I do every year is go for twice, one twice retreat in the mountains. Okay. Um, in silence, five, six days with the monks. So they provide the food. I have a cell. I'm mm-hmm. there. Walking and thinking, and it's just me, and that really helps me calm down from all these distractions. Okay, so being here, I'm like, Reset, I don't have to train, I don't have to compete. Let's start over. Okay, like I always wanted to wake up early because it's my, my most productive time, but in Spain, it's very hard to sleep early, but now I can do it. Let's start sleeping at 10. Started sleeping at 10, wake up at 6. Feels awesome. Now we'll see if I can continue it in real life, you know. (laughs) But at least least I've got the taste of it. I know it works. Fair enough. Because a lot of things, you have the idea, you know, that if you train, you'll probably feel better. But you, you have the excuse, you're busy and you don't have time. Okay. So, sleeping early, I, I suspected that it would help me wake up early and I would be more productive, etc. But there, you imagine paddle matches sometimes are at 10 p.m., you know, here. No way. <laughs> so, before one, you're not going to go to sleep. Of course. So, and like I said, that's why we'll see how to integrate it. But at least I've gotten a taste. Very good. Good for you all right so let's wrap things up here it was very Very interesting we'll definitely have another chat sometime do you want people to be able to reach out to you we have twitter instagram facebook website
1: (laughs) (laughs) and uh, i think the easiest way how to reach me is through an email it's Mm -hmm. chris.grek at white the color white w-h-i-t-e dot m-t
0: i do have facebook i do have instagram um it's Chris Grek, try to look me up. Okay, we'll put it in the show notes. And so why is it white, not empty?
1: <laughs> I believe we have to have a simple name, right? So not, nothing should be complicated. White is, you know, a simple concept. It's relatively simple easy and transparent to remember, exactly. Nice, I like it.
0: All right, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs> and subscribe to the podcast for all those of you who listen uh, regularly, thank you for listening and I welcome all your comments and reviews on iTunes and see you on the next episode thank you Keep well.